Hi everyone, and welcome to Shi'ar Jeshub, coming from Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut. I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing a sermon in my husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo's series on heavenly authority. This sermon continued the teaching on the office of the prophet in the New Testament. When we left off, Pastor Greg was in Matthew chapter 11, where the Lord Jesus tells his disciples that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was prophesied to come. And many of that generation would not accept John or his message. Jesus compared their complaints to children in the marketplaces, acting childishly. Let's rejoin Pastor Greg. They're out of sync with the kingdom of God. Their timing's all off, and they use arguments that sound like they're true, but they misapply them at the wrong time and the wrong place. They're like children. They're childish. They're like children calling to their companions, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He's too much. He's demonic. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what does he say? But wisdom is justified by her children. You know, you have the, the children of the world, the foolishness, the silliness of the children of the world, and then you have the children of wisdom. Wisdom is proved by what comes out from her. If something is wise, it will bear wise fruit. And the children of wisdom know when to repent, when to mourn, and they know when to be comforted by the Messiah of Israel. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will accept the truth of the message of repentance and apply it first and foremost to themselves, and they will accept the truth of the message of the good news of grace and grab it fully for themselves and for others. If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 17, you have the account of the Mount of Transfiguration. You have Peter, James, and John brought up to the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus is transfigured before them. His face becomes like the sun. His clothes become white as light. They see for an instant what Jesus will look like when he returns, King of kings and Lord of lords. And next to him, they see Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. And Peter says, it's good for us to be here. We'll make three tabernacles, you know, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. And suddenly the, the Shekinah glory comes, the bright cloud overshadows them, the voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And the disciples heard it. They fell on their faces. They were greatly afraid. And Jesus comes over. He touches them. He says, arise and do not be afraid. And they lift up their eyes and they see no one but Jesus. Obviously, Jesus fulfills. He speaks to Elijah. He speaks to Moses. He fulfills the law of the prophets and he supersedes. He is a greater personality 
than Elijah and Moses than the law and the prophets. We have the one who was at the very bosom of the Father who has made him known. We have the clear revelation in Jesus Christ. And so it's not a threefold split. It's one, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And they see Jesus as Messiah, as anointed, as the returning king. They get a glimpse of the kingdom of God and all his power and majesty as he's transfigured king of kings and lord of lords. In verse 9 it says, Now as they came down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. He still had to fulfill his mission as Son of Man to die for our sins. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the scribes say, Elijah must come first? Right, we're talking about Elijah. We're talking about the um, spirit and power of Elijah. What do they mean? Well, they know that the Lord is coming. They know there's going to be this great coming of Messiah and the kingdom of God. And they know the prophecy is that Elijah comes first. So if this is the coming of the kingdom and power, if they've seen Messiah transfigured, well, where's Elijah? Elijah's supposed to come to prepare the way before the Lord. That's why they say, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, he tells them the scribes are right. Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. So Elijah comes first and restores all things. And really, that message of John was a message of restoration to bring back, to bring back to God. So Elijah is coming, verse 12, but I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. So in the moment of seeing the great transfiguration of Jesus Christ, he tells them two times that he will suffer and die. He has to be risen from the dead and that he's about to suffer the way Elijah, the one that came before him, John the Baptist, suffered. Verse 13, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. If you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah. Indeed, Elijah is coming, and we'll speak about that in a few minutes, and Elijah has come already to restore. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, necessary message, for the first coming of Jesus Christ. And they did to him whatever they wished. The office of the prophet is seen clearly in John. Earlier in Matthew chapter 14, what does Jesus mean they did, they did to him whatever they wished? If you look back in chapter 14, at that time Herod the Tetrarch this is verse 1. Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. He's all afraid. Herod is very superstitious when he hears about Jesus. And then they tell you why he thinks John has come back. They tell you how John dies. Matthew tells us. Verse 3. But Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, 
it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him, John, as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed the sick. And you have then the tremendous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It starts with Jesus going away to a quiet place. He wants to be alone. He's heard that John's been killed. And as one of us, it hurts. It hurts when somebody that, you know, is doing the work of God, someone you respect, someone that has been so instrumental in preparing the way, has suffered such a terrible death. But then he comes out, he sees the multitude, and immediately the Spirit of God's on him, and he has compassion, and he begins to minister. John did what the prophets do, the office of the prophet does. They call people back to God and righteousness. They expose sins. They declare the holiness of God. They speak out against lukewarmness, against worldliness. They remind a world of sin, of the God they do not want to know, that he's there. And they remind the world of God's decrees, which the world does not want to hear nor keep. And the reaction can be murderous, anger. You see it on the news when they speak about certain things that Christians will say, which are true, which are from the Bible. And there's almost like a murderous hatred in the tone of the announcers of the debaters because that person is a constant reminder of the truth of God, that God exists and that God has a certain way, and no matter how you try to twist and turn it, you're not going to change him, and if you won't let him change you, there's judgment to come. And John is there saying, you can't take your brother's wife. Herodias was Philip's wife, and he took his brother's wife. That was adultery. It was fornication. And you see how much God hates divorce. And John's there decreeing and crying out that this supposed leader of Israel has done a blasphemy in God's sight. And Herod doesn't like it, but Herod's intrigued by John. Herod's, a, Herod's like Ahab in the Old Testament. He's a little intrigued, like Ahab was a little intrigued by Elijah, right? And Herodias is really mad because She's the one being challenged that she's gone from Philip to Herod. And she's kind of like Jezebel. She's all mad at this new Elijah. And she wants to see him dead like Jezebel wanted to see Elijah dead. She doesn't want to hear this message. And she wants to kill him. 
And the opportunity comes, when, you know, in those days when a governmental official gave their oath. You see it back in the Old Testament with the Persian kings. They make a decree, and even they can't change it. Here, Herod, how stupid. Maybe he was drunk. And he's there, and Herodias' daughter, uh, obviously he's attracted by her, so now you have even more sin, sin upon sin. And incest also was a big thing in the Herod family. If you take the children of Herod the Great, and you look down the lineage, there's all types of incest across relationship. As a matter of fact, Herodias herself, I believe, is related to both Philip and Herod. But he's looking at the daughter, and the daughter does a dance for him. She dances for the head of the prophet. There's a lot of people out there today that would dance for the head of Christian prophets if they could get rid of them. And he's bound, he's sad about it, but he's bound by his oath. Because of the company there, how do you know the governor, the Roman governor is not there? How do you know representatives of Rome are not there? And he has to show he's a king, he keeps his word. And so while he wouldn't behead John, he just threw him in prison to shut Herodias up. Herod then takes and has John beheaded and the head given to this girl who's in her sin. The head of the prophet is presented on his platter. That's the reaction of the world the office of the prophet. What is the foundation of the male-female relationship? How does God view marriage? These are just some of the questions addressed in our special audio CD set on Christian marriage. And all six audio CDs are our gift to you for your donation of $35 or more. You can make your donation on our church website at shiarjashub.org. Please join us next time for Shiar Jashub.